Hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are on a mission to do things a bit differently. We are focused on prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generates the income for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here either as a first-time listener or a seasoned listener that's coming back every single week, what I want to say to you is I love you, I appreciate you, and truly, deeply thank you for taking the time today to listen, to expand, and grow. Every single week, I'm interviewing epic humans making a beautiful impact in the world and are pulling out the their strategies, their habits, their tactics to support you in doing the same. Every single week, I invest a ton of research to pull out the best from the guests. So even if you have heard this person on another show, you'll know that you have some of their juiciest content here than uh, other episodes. So today's legendary leader of impact is Hal Elrod. And man, you are gonna be blown away. I'm so excited to share and introduce Hal to you. But as always, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how Hal actually died for six minutes when he was 20 years old. You heard that correct. Number two, how you can beat the snooze button. Hal has literally helped millions of people to stop hitting the snooze button, stop procrastinating on the very first decision that you're making in the day. So very powerful and actionable strategies for that. And number three, the surprising strategy that Hal used to recover from a fatal car accident and later in his life beat cancer. And actually this was the one of the reasons why Hal and I ended up reconnecting. It's this thing he calls the five minute rule and it will allow you to release negative emotions that may be holding you back. So you'll hear how that has to do with me getting reconnected with Hal in there, but super, super powerful. And there's so much more that I, I wanna tell you about, but I'm just gonna let you listen. So who is Hal Elrod? First and foremost, Hal is a family man. He is a loyal husband to his wife of 11 years and a dedicated father to their two children. His mission in life is to foster meaningful connection and create memorable experiences for his family. When he's not with his family, he is sharing his message as an author and keynote speaker. After surviving multiple near-death experiences and impacting millions of people through his books and speeches, Hal is also on a mission to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. As the author of 12 books, most notably The Miracle Morning, which has been translated into 37 languages and has sold over 2.5 million copies, he is doing exactly that. He's appeared on the Today Show, he's been featured in the Success Magazine and written for entrepreneur.com. And his latest project is The Miracle Morning Movie, a documentary that shows you how millions of people are transforming their lives by simply changing how they start their day. I wanna give a huge shout out to my friend Matt Bordreau for making this interview possible. You guys will be hearing from Matt in another podcast episode. He's another epic human. And uh, this conversation with Hal is absolutely a re-listener. I re-listened to it the day after I recorded it with Hal because it is so epic. Hal is such a beautiful, beautiful human and I can't wait for you to meet him. So please enjoy this incredible conversation with my new friend, Hal Elrod. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. 
So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Mr. Hal Elrod, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. Brandon Fong, the most prepared podcaster in the history of podcasting. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to be here, man. Hal, I actually didn't prepare at all for our interview today, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not ready to... Totally kidding. Uh, well, no, I, now I, I feel so... better because that's how I prepare for interviews. Yeah, so all right, we're on the same page. All good. There we go. So, I mean, I, I know people have heard from the bio, you've overcome some massive adversity in your life, and we'll be diving into all the different aspects of your story, which gets a little bit heavy. I know you've come out of it in the good side and have created a massive impact as a result of it. But I wanted to start things off on a fun note on some small little thing that I found that I'm like, I can't skip over this. So I, I found this part, I don't remember which book I read it in, but you held a record, Hal, in your <laughs> high school. Yeah. Um, and and the, the record that I highlighted was 178 detentions the most hours of detention ever assigned to a student in a single school year. Very impressive. And yeah. from, you know, knowing about you and what you do, you're a loving and kind dude. I can't in a million years picture what the hell you were doing to land up in detention all the time. So uh, I thought we'd kick things off. Anything yeah. that stands out is the stupidest, stupidest or funniest thing you ever got put into detention for. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, I will tell you a couple. So when I was in seventh grade, I was voted uh, class clown. Right. So like, I, so at a, at a young age, I was always trying to make everybody laugh at the expense of, you know, keeping order in the classroom. And uh, so here's a funny story. So um, my uh, my my mom always tells a story about how she was on the phone with my algebra teacher, Mrs. Aoki. And then she's like, hold on, I have a call on call waiting. And it was our principal about a totally separate issue. So she's got the principal on one line. Mrs. Aoki on the other, both saying how her son is, you know, is, is, is terrible. Um, and then last thing I'll say, Mrs. Aoki, that same algebra teacher, uh, after I graduated high school, she came into the store a couple of years later, my parents owned a grocery store and she was talking to my mom and she goes, you know, I'll never forget Hal. And my mom went, Oh, that's, you know, that's so nice. And she goes, no, he carved his name into my desk. So I will never forget. <laughs> oh man. That's so uh, funny. And and clearly someone from the very beginning was born as a disruptor, somebody that was going to do some massive things. And uh, I guess the, the the universe or God, however you want to put it, put you through yeah. some some crazy stuff to to test that resolve, that that inner spirit that I guess you had of of taking things not too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amen, to, amen to that, man. Yeah. Yeah, super cool. So so now that we had kind of the light story, let's go to, I, I know on your site, you talk about like having really three main wake up calls that have happened in your life. One of them came December 3rd, 1999. You just received a standing ovation after giving an incredible motivational speech. You're feeling on top of the world. You hop in your white Ford Mustang. What happens next? Yeah, I'm 20 years old at the time, and uh, I was on cloud nine. I just, as you said, I got a standing ovation from my peers. I was like, wow, that was the best speech of my life, you know? And I felt on top of the world, metaphorically speaking, and um, and then got in the Mustang driving home that night, probably 15 minutes after leaving the, the meeting, um, a man I had never met before in a large four-wheel drive uh, Chevy, tr Chevy truck, full-size truck, uh, left the bar uh, after a few drinks, crossed the median, and came directly at my car. I don't remember seeing the headlights coming at me, but around 11.30 at night, uh, we collided head-on at, at 80 miles an hour, uh, and then I spun off the drunk driver, and then the car behind me 
that was literally just like, you know, three or four car lengths behind me. I spun in front of them sideways and they hit me in the door at 70 miles an hour. And if you're listening to this, I always kind of say like, look over your left shoulder and imagine that, you know, a car is going 70 miles an hour and crashes into your door. And what you might imagine happened, happened, right? The entire left side of my car was crushed into the left side of my body. And instantaneously, I broke 11 bones. Uh, my femur, the biggest bone in the human body broke in half, one half speared out the side of my leg. Um, my pelvis was crushed between the center console. It, it broke three separate times. Uh, my humerus bone behind the bicep, uh, that broke also broke in half and one half like came out behind the elbow, not to get too graphic, but, um, and then my elbow was shattered. I severed the radial nerve in my left forearm. Uh, my eye socket was just crushed. It's all rebuilt in titanium. Now, uh, my ear was almost completely severed. And then the, the ceiling buckled and it sliced the top of my head open. And, uh, I suffered a punctured lung and a ruptured spleen and began, losing a lot of blood. And it took the, you know, my, my best friend, Jeremy was actually like a minute behind me and he rolls up on the scene going, Oh my God, there's been an accident, you know? And within a matter of seconds, he went, Oh my, Oh, Oh my God, is that hell's car? And he gets out, you know, I'm unconscious. He thinks I'm dead because I'm covered in blood and I'm, I was immediately in a coma. Right. So he comes up and, you know, he's in the windows broken. My, my, my driver's side window and he's Hal, Hal, are you okay? Are you okay? And you know, I'm, I'm, you know, limped over and unresponsive. So he assumed I was dead, but he checked my pulse and I was still alive, uh, called nine one one. And it took them almost an hour for the fire department to use the jaws of life and cut me out of the car. And when they pulled, you know, I'd been, I had a hole in my, literally a hole in my leg where the femur came out and a hole in my arm where the humerus came out. So I was, and, and not to mention, you know, my, my face is bloody. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm bleeding from head to toe. And I had lost so much blood that when they pulled me out of the car and all that pressure from the door that was kind of keeping me alive, uh, I bled to death and I was clinically dead for six minutes in a coma for six days. Uh, they rushed me to the hospital on a helicopter, a medevac helicopter. And they, thank God they didn't give up because you know they kept trying and trying and trying to they had I was pumped uh, hooked up to blood and oxygen and they got me back to life after about 6 minutes without a heartbeat and I woke up from a coma 6 days later to be told I would never walk again and I had permanent brain damage and I had this mindset that uh, and we can talk more about where it came from but I had learned it in my sales training I was working for Cutco at the time that's what my speech was on that night and um I learned something called the 5 minute rule which is and for anybody listening, this is one of the most valuable lessons I have ever learned. And to this day, when I teach it, it, it always, I get, you know, really positive feedback. And it's simply, it's okay to be negative when something goes wrong, but not for more than five minutes. And the number is really arbitrary, right? If you lose a loved one, like, yeah, five minutes is a little short to try to process that grief. You might need five days or, you know, maybe in five weeks. I don't know. Here's the point is that every painful emotion that we've ever experienced is self-created and it is self-created by our resistance to reality in other words something happens and you go no 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 this i this wasn't it wasn't supposed to be this way i i had something different in mind i can't believe this happened no why 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 and that is to the degree that we wish and want something were different that is in the past whether it's five minutes or five months or five decades we create emotional pain to the degree that we resist our reality and to free ourselves from emotional pain. It's about acceptance. You go, I can't change it. I can't change what happened. 
So I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to be happy that I'm, a, I'm going to be grateful. You know, you get to choose. But the key is that five-minute rule is you get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, and then you say, can't change it. And you acknowledge when that five minute, literally the timer, I said it's five minute timer. When it goes off, you take a deep breath, say, can't change it. And you acknowledge, I can't change what happened. So what am I going to do now to make my life the best it can be based on my current reality and circumstances? And because I had that mindset at, when I woke up from the coma, the doctors thought I was delusional. They thought I was in denial. They, they called my parents in and they're like, we're concerned. Hal's always laughing and joking and smiling. And that's not normal for a 20 year old young man who's being told he's never going to walk again. Right. And my dad came in and he, he said, Hal, the doctors are concerned. They said you it's normal to be sad and angry and depressed. And, you know, they want you to admit how you're really feeling. I said, dad, I live by the five minute rule. I can't change that I was in a car accident. So I've chosen to be the happiest and the most grateful I've ever been while I endure the most difficult time in my life, trying to recover. And if the doctors are right, and I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, I promise you, dad, you have nothing to worry about. I've already decided I will be the happiest, most grateful person that anyone's ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. And I will never let my unchangeable circumstances determine how I feel inside. And two weeks after that conversation, actually one week after that conversation, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they said, we don't know how to explain this, Hal, but your body is healing so quickly that you actually can take your first step today in therapy. So it went from never walking again to maintaining this positive attitude and being at peace with what I couldn't change, visualizing walking, praying about walking. Like I accepted the worst case scenario, but I didn't live there. Like I accepted it, moved on. And then I focused all my energy on what I wanted, which was I want to walk again. I'm going to visualize it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to affirm it. I'm going to, right. I'm going to embody healing energy and it worked right. That, that mind body connection uh, is, is more powerful than I think most of us uh, realize. Such a good story, man. Is I could just like ask one question and just let Hal talk for the rest, which by the way, you can go <laughs> listen to, you can go listen to Hal's podcast, achieve your goals with Hal Elrod. I would highly recommend if you want some more Hal energy, you can pause this, go find that right now because you're going to get more and more of this. So I love that. And it's so funny. You started with the five minute rule, because I think that's honestly why we're talking today right now is because I was hanging out with Matt Bordreau, who was the one oh, that reconnected wow. us. And yeah. I straight up was like, was like mentioned because the, the train actually goes back. I was working with Jonathan Levy at Superhuman Academy. You did a challenge nice. with him and you mentioned the five minute rule. I told Matt about it. He's like, you haven't had Hal on your podcast yet. And so here we are <laughs> because of the five minute rule, but would highly recommend, man, that is just so powerful. I love, love the five minute rule, super applicable for everyone. And the can't change it mantra. I know you said you had someone that like literally tattooed that on themselves after hearing you talk about it just because learning how to accept the things that we can't change and empowering ourselves to take action on the things that we can is really all we can do to maintain that positive outlook and you also planted seeds all throughout what you were saying there about you know some of the other things that you did because obviously there's there's one part is the positive mindset but you were doing more than just that to recover from that crazy car accident. And uh, one of the things that you just kind of mentioned in passing was affirmations. And I know mm. that this is super powerful in your content and it's it's in multiple places, but um, so I, I want to make sure we get to affirmations, but maybe it would help to share the context of where that falls in, in your stuff. Yeah. Um, and so we'd love to maybe talk a little bit about savers and where that came into play. And then we can maybe zoom in on affirmations specifically. 
Yeah, I'm long. I'm long winded. So let's try to get to get to the point here on this one. Um, <laughs> the uh, I, that was a nice way when you said Hal could just keep talking. That was a nice way of saying I'm long winded. No, but but anyway, the so so yeah. So the Miracle Morning is you know if, if that's what I'm best known for. Um, it's a it's it's essentially a book. I, I wrote and self published a book, The Miracle Morning, in 2012. Um, it has sold over three million copies, and it's translated into 37 languages, and it's practiced daily by people in 217 countries. Uh, I've sometimes I get asked, Hal, was that your vision? Hell no. I literally was like, okay, wow, I created this extraordinary morning routine. It changed my life. Uh, and I wasn't a morning person. If you're listening, you're not a morning person like that. That's, you know, that that's right up my alley. Um, and then I had taught it to all my coaching clients and they, it changed their lives and they started out resisting going, I'm not a morning person, Hal. And I go, I know, I know I wasn't either. Let me give you like some really powerful, simple tricks on how to beat the snooze button. And that way, once you beat the snooze button, then here's how you start your day with meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, journaling, six of the most timeless, proven personal development practices in the history of humanity that the world's most successful people in all walks of life have sworn by for centuries. And Brandon, I had a distinction recently. I'm actually updating the Miracle Morning book right now. And uh, I am, uh, I'm writing the updated and expanded edition for the upcoming 10-year anniversary. And as I was writing it, I had this distinction around habit stacking, right? I'm sure you're familiar with habit stacking. Uh, I believe BJ Fogg uh, in his in his program, Tiny Habits, originated that term, if I'm not mistaken. And James Clear, most recently in Atomic Habits, the best-selling book of like all time, practically, um, James really focused on habit stacking. But here's what I realized. The average person, and not even the average person, the, the most extraordinary person, if if they were to think, man... You know, I know meditation. I've, I've read articles about it. I know it's powerful. I really should start meditating. Then they go, but you know, but, but I don't know. I, I, it, maybe it's more of a priority to really focus on my self-talk. I can be really negative and I, you know, and I really need to optimize my self-talk, which would be affirmations. Right. Um, and they go, but you know what, but the world's most successful athletes and the top performers, they, they, they visualize themselves performing at their best before they go out onto the field or into their day. I, I should learn visualization, but you know what? I, I need to, I need more energy so I can do all of this. So I really need to optimize my physical health. I need to exercise more, but, but you know, I need, I need to read, I should start reading. I got to read more books. Like I need to read books from people that have already done this so that I can learn from them. Right. But you know, I, you know, I've, I've heard that journaling is one of the best ways to gain clarity. So maybe that's where I should start. I should start with journaling, right? And then you go, well, who am I kidding? Where am I going to find time to implement even a few of these habits, let alone all of them? That's the beauty of the Miracle Morning is it's all six of those practices done in anywhere from six minutes to 60 minutes or anywhere in between or even you know longer if you have nothing else to do. Um, but uh and it's organized in an acronym, which is SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. And this acronym, I didn't realize it was my wife's idea because I had these six practices. She goes, Hal, you got to organize them in something that people can remember. Why don't you get a thesaurus and see if you can figure out an acronym? And meditation became silence and journaling became scribing the S at the beginning and the end of SAVERS, right? And then A for affirmations, V for visualization, E for exercise, R for reading, right? So those are the six practices. And again, the idea of doing all of those would feel overwhelming because they'd feel like six separate things that you have to figure out when to put in your day. But when you start every day by 
harnessing not just the power of any one of those will change your life, right? Like any one of those, if you start meditating, it'll lower your stress. It'll increase your ability to concentrate and focus, which will increase your productivity. You'll have breakthrough ideas. That's just one. But when you do all six, in fact, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he is arguably the biggest advocate for the miracle morning. Uh, quite like five years ago, his assistant reached out and said, Robert's read your book three times. And my jaw dropped at that point. I'm like, what? Robert <laughs> Kiyosaki read my self-published book three times. Um, and she said, he does it every day. He does the miracle morning every day. And he wants you on Rich Dad Radio. And I was like, beside myself, I went on the show. But he summed it up really well. He said, Hal, before the miracle morning, every successful person on the planet swears by at least one of those six practices, one of the sabers. He said, I had never met anyone that did all six of those every single day. And he said, you titled the book correctly, The Miracle Morning. He said, since I've started doing the sabers, I forgot how much weight he had lost. But if you've seen him now before compared to then, he was heavy, like he's lost a ton of weight. He's in great shape, you know, and he attributes it to his miracle morning. So just to sum all that up, those are the six practices. You can do them again in, there's a chapter in the book called the six minute miracle morning. It's literally on the days where you're busy. Don't throw in the towel and do nothing. Sit for, sit in silence for a minute, right? Meditate, pray, like get centered for the day, pull out your affirmations and affirm who you're committed to being to be at your best today. Then visualize yourself doing those things that will get you where you want to go in life. Do 60 seconds of jumping jacks, read a page or two out of a book, journal what you're grateful, literally six minutes, and the benefits are profound. Now, last thing I'll say on this is I don't recommend that that's your daily ritual. Like you can't go deep in any of those with a minute each, right? But the idea is that it's totally scalable. And the 70% of Miracle Morning practitioners do a 60-minute Miracle Morning, roughly 70%, roughly 23% do a 30 minute miracle morning and the other 7% do a shorter or a longer version. And I'll just add on top, like how I've implemented the, the miracle morning. And I know, I'm sure it's really cool for you to see your community and how they've adapted it for what works for them. But like, one thing is I found a way to kind of combine the, combine the A, V, E, R yes. all at once is because I'm actually training for a marathon right now. I've recorded my affirmations and visualization nice. in an, like an audio format. So I yep. can easily get up go run and listen to my affirmations, listen to myself visualizing. And then once that's done, I can listen to a podcast or listen to an audio book or something like that. And that's all within whatever, a 5k, you know? And so like, there's yeah. so much power if you learn how to customize some of those things for what works for you. That's obviously that's what works for me and everybody's going to be a little bit different. So uh, super powerful. There's, there's, there's two things that I want to dig in deeper here. One of them you alluded to in the beginning, because I, I actually, there's three things now, now that come to mind. So I'm going to try to synthesize something. One thing that I wanted to pull out is how you organize this into an acronym. And another person I've had on the show, Michael Rodriguez, who talks about accessibility, interest, and memory, AIM, is making your ideas really accessible. Mm -hmm. And I just love, I just want to highlight how powerful and this impact you've been able to create as a result of making your content memorable and accessible for people. And also the fact that you've chosen a habit that is so ingrained at a very early stage that you are credited with this massive momentum and progress that people are making is because it's a daily thing that they're doing. It's not some small thing. So I think that there's some, some other genius inside of what you've done is not only package it in a way, but you chose a, a skill set or a habit that people can constantly get better at and better at, which I think has created some massive momentum for you. So love yeah. that. Um, 
But I, I want to I want to zoom in on one other thing that you said because I love quick wins. So talking about like people getting to use something. Let's mm. say you don't even use a savers tomorrow, but you you're one of those people. You're not a miracle morning. You're not a morning person. You hit the snooze button all the time. You had alluded to earlier. You have some snooze proof wake up strategies for yeah. some people. Super simple, but man, you could literally wake up tomorrow morning on time. And instead of that first decision of your day being to procrastinate on your day. Think about the ramifications of simply just not snoozing anymore. So we'd love for you to share yeah. your kind of some of your your proven strategies so people can not snooze anymore. Yeah, and I do. I want to that this is great, and I want to mention the why, right? Like why? Well, what's why? Why? Why do a morning routine? Why? What's the big deal about hitting the snooze button? That kind of thing. Here's the deal: how you start your day sets the tone, the context, and the direction for who you are for the rest of the day. When we hit the snooze button in the morning, we're literally procrastinating on the act of waking up. Most of us wake up at the last possible minute when we have to be somewhere, do something, or answer to somebody else or take care of somebody else, whether it's our kids or whatever, right? Um, when you start your day with a miracle morning or whatever your you know flavor of that is, um, you're starting your day in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state you are dedicating time to expanding each of those four capacities so that you are the best version of yourself when you go out into the day. It makes you a better parent, a better spouse, a better leader, a better employee, a better entrepreneur, like whatever you apply yourself to. When you start your day that way, you're starting it at your best. And then that spills over into everything that you do. So that's part of the essence of the miracle morning. Like that's the essence of the why to have a morning ritual period. Right. And then the savers, of course, is you're going, okay, well, what do I do during that time? You know? Um, so as far as the, how do you beat the snooze button? So there's, I, that was the hardest thing for me. So I had to research this. I'm like, and I just put together kind of the best of the best around the strategy in the book. I call it the five step snooze proof wake up strategy. Step number one is to set an empowering intention before bed. Now, you can actually go to tmmbook.com and download the bedtime affirmations. They're also in the Miracle Morning app. We finally, after like 10 years, finally launched the Miracle Morning app recently. But either way, you can either like down, look at them on the phone in the app, or you can download them and print them off and have them on your bedside table. But those are my own personal affirmations that I wrote because here's what I realized. And you can relate to this. Our first thought in the morning is almost always whatever the last thought we had before bed. Think about being a kid. If you were a kid and you celebrated Christmas, and if you never celebrated Christmas, think about like your first day of school or anything where you were so excited to wake up that you could hardly fall asleep at night, right? You were taught, you're like, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait. But your last thought before bed, and as soon as you opened your eyes in the morning, you're like, it's Christmas or it's my birthday, or we're going on vacation, or it's the first day of school. What? So it's not only your last thought before bed, but it's your last emotion before bed. Whatever your final thoughts and feelings are, that's how you think and feel in the morning. And most of us go to bed thinking about our problems. Oh my God, I got to wake up tomorrow and I got to deal with this and that. And oh, today this happened and I had a you know, fight with my spouse, whatever. We go to bed feeling stressed. It affects our sleep quality and we wake up feeling stressed. And what I, my, my theory was, wait a minute, couldn't I recreate the feeling of waking up on Christmas morning, but every single day I just dissected it. I went, I, 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 if I go to bed excited 
about the morning. You know, I have clarity on what I'm doing. I'm excited about it for whatever the reason is, right? And so I wrote an affirmation that that articulated, no matter how many hours of sleep I'm getting tonight, I'm gonna wake up feeling like I'm on fire, ready to go, you know? And so I read that before bed and I wake up feeling on fire, feeling excited, excited, feeling grateful. I was being introduced to speak at a, an EO event entrepreneur organization in New York once. And the CEO of lawline.com was introducing me. And he said, I don't know if Hal's going to mention this, but I hope he does. Um, if it wasn't for this step that I learned in his book, or no, it was three steps. It was number one, what I just shared, setting intentions before bed. Number two, which I'll share right now. And this is the simplest, lowest hanging fruit that you have available to you to wake up in the morning. Move your alarm clock as far away as humanly possible where you can still hear it. That is lit. And he said this, David, uh, the, the CEO of Lawline, David Schnurman said, moving his alarm clock across the room was the game changer. If he wouldn't have done that, he probably would have missed out on the benefits of the miracle morning, which led to him writing his first book. Um, and so here's the deal. When the alarm goes off, if it's within reach, I don't care who you are, myself included, your level of discipline is close to a zero, right? You're like, oh, right. You reach over and you, you hit the snooze or you turn it off. And you'll do it over and over and over because you're still half asleep. But if you have to get out of bed, stand up, walk across the room, well, well, now you're up. You're literally up, right? And so for me, I keep my alarm clock right next to the, it's on the bathroom seat right next to where I brush my teeth. And that way I go into step three, which is brush your teeth. And I know some of you are like, Hal, dude, did you just tell me to brush my teeth? Like that's your advanced <laughs> strategy. Yes, here's why. Every minute that you are awake and conscious, it becomes easier and requires less discipline to remain awake. So you want to front load your first few minutes of the day, your first, let's say, five minutes of the day with mindless activities. Brushing your teeth is one of those. Every stroke of the toothbrush, you're waking up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then step four is drink a full glass of water. When you sleep, think about it. You're without water for seven, eight hours. You're literally mildly dehydrated when you wake up and dehydration causes fatigue. So, you know, I used to always joke, I was, you know, like a college kid at a keg party. I just freaking pound that water first thing in the morning, right? And I usually like, I pound half the glass and then I kind of sip the rest. And then step five is I go right into my closet. And now I'm starting to feel awake, right? I'm like, I'm kind of waking up. And then I put on my exercise clothes, whatever I'm going to work out in that morning. That way, two things. Number one, it gives me a few more minutes to wake up. And number two, it signifies to my subconscious, we're up for the day. You're, you're not still in your pajamas. Or if you sleep in the nude, you're not still naked, right? Like, you, you, <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're, you're up, right? And then kind of the step 5.5 is get the hell out of your bedroom. Because if your bed is in, is in line of sight, it is too tempting to go, I'm just gonna just lay down for a minute, right? And then all of a sudden you, you wake up 30 minutes later, an hour later, you miss the morning. So that is the five-step snooze-proof wake-up strategy. And that's consequential for being able to make the miracle morning work if you struggle with beating that snooze button and getting out of bed in the morning. Boom, so much gold there. Again, hit that rewind button, go listen to that. I Again, I just wanna highlight a few of those things. I, I love... This is, this is something that I picked up. I don't know why I didn't pick it up the first time I read The Miracle Morning, but when I read it the most recent time is like that 
intention of framing yourself about how much energy you feel because if you say oh i'm only getting four hours i'm gonna feel like crap when i wake up it's like that emotion is carried and you're probably gonna feel like crap but if you just simply say one of those affirmations that you can get at tmmbook.com or download the app (laughs) is like you know four hours of sleep is is exactly what i need tonight to feel rested and energized in the morning and just imagine what that small shift does and you know, it's just because I'm, I, I revisited this the other day. I'm like, man, that is such a valuable thing to add. And then on top of that, I don't know if it was, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. He was, he talked about like, like a, a basically a night of rest is at waste. If you don't ask a question to your subconscious before you go to bed. Mm, and I know that comes in yeah. like Neville, Neville Goddard's work as well. It's like the unconscious mind is what's at work. It's processing all the stuff that, at night. And so by being very intentional about, you know, the, the, the positive things that you're creating in your world or the excitement that you have before you go to bed just has massive ramifications for that quote unquote period of unconsciousness when your body and mind is recovering. So, so much genius just in that simple thing, but man, I would just challenge everyone literally tomorrow. You can do this. You can, you can set your alarm, put it next to your toothbrush. And even if you, even if you just put your alarm across and, uh, you know, start brushing your teeth and drink a glass of water, that is not hard and it can absolutely change everything. So love that so much. Yeah. And it, but it is, it's not hard, but it is consequential. Like I I would encourage, you can't overlook it, right? If you, you know, if you're like, I'm going to do the miracle morning, but you keep the alarm clock within arm's reach, dude, you're probably going to miss it, you know? So yeah, it makes, it makes a big difference to have that alarm across the room. And then, like I said, you're up. Yeah. So you also shared, well, I also want to not skip over this. I downloaded the app the other day and it is, it is really cool. It's incredible. I'm looking forward to tracking everything on there. So would encourage if, if, even if you don't, I mean, highly encourage, go pick up the copy of the book, but if you want to, if you got enough of it, you're already excited. You got some momentum, just go download the app and then you can start tracking some of this stuff right now without even going into the rest of it. But you alluded to the savers. And I know that you know, you have, I think it's in the miracle equation. You talk about kind of one of the, if you did an 80, 20 on the savers, even though we've talked about how important all of them are, one of the things that helps you to overcome that car crash, the, uh, you know, kind of, uh, 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 pre-framing some, uh, some cancer that you overcame. One of them was affirmations. And there is so much content out here on affirmations and there's, there's a right way and a wrong way of doing it, but having led a community of people and having used it to transform your life, I would love for you to share some of your wisdom on how we can effectively create affirmations. Yeah. To your point, I would, you know, when people ask me, like, do you have a a favorite of the savers? The politically correct answer would be like, no, they're all equally important, (laughs) right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, great point. No, but I, but the, the honest answer is I personally affirmations have been the most effective practice for me. I also believe they're the most misunderstood and therefore dismissed of all personal development. And here's what I mean. The problem with affirmations, the way that most of us have been taught or learned or even just assumed them, uh, is either, uh, number one, we're taught to essentially lie to ourselves. Like if you want to be wealthy, but you're broke, just say, I am wealthy and affirm it. I am wealthy over and over and over until you believe it. That might be, you know, there's some value to that. Sure. Um, but I think there's more disvalue because if you're affirming, I am wealthy and you're not, your subconscious kicks in and it's like, dude, you're lying to yourself. No, you're not, right? If you go, I am a millionaire and your subconscious is like, dude, you're not even a thousandaire. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Um, so so number one, lying to yourself is 
never the optimum strategy because the truth will always prevail. The second problem with affirmations, the way that we've been taught is to use this flowery passive language that produces a magical result that makes us feel better in the moment because we're deluding ourselves thinking, oh yeah, life's going to just randomly magically change. Here's an example of that affirmation. We probably all heard a variation of this one. I am a money magnet. Money flows to me effortlessly and in abundance, right? That's not how money works. And if you, and now, now people like that affirmation and it's, it's popular and it has been for, I don't even know how long. Here's why. If you're struggling financially or in any area of your life and you tell yourself, I'm a money magnet, right? Or I'm a magnet for love. It's go the, the person I've been waiting for is going to show up in my life or the millions of dollars are on their way to me. That makes you feel better in the moment because it gives you relief. Oh, thank God. It's just, it's, it's coming. The money's going to show up. Um, again, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I know many people believe in manifestation. That's a whole nother conversation. I think that there's nuances to that, but here's the point. If you're telling yourself that that things are magically going to work out independent of your effort, then to me, that's self-sabotaging. You, you finish your affirmations and you're like, oh, I don't need to do anything because money is on its way, right? That my, my dream, the love of my life is on their way, right? No, how about you get on, you know, match.com and, and put some effort into it? How about you, you know, you go buy a book and learn how to, you know, generate income, you know what I mean? So, so that's the problem. Here are, I, I personally don't just want to feel better when I do affirmations. I want to really set my mindset and program my subconscious mind to produce measurable results in the areas that I'm affirming. Here are three steps to do that. Number one, affirm what you're committed to. So don't say I'm a millionaire or I am wealthy. Say I am committed to earning a million dollars in the next, you know, six months or year or 10 years or whatever, right? Like we don't get what we want in life unless we're committed. We get what we're committed to. The way that I phrase that is I am committed to blank. No matter what, there is no other option. That's my line in the sand. I am committed to blank. No matter what, there is no other option. And I apply that to every single one of my goals as I do the rest of this formula. Step two, why is it meaningful to you? Why is it a must for you? Why are you committed? So I, and I usually do this in bullet point form. I usually list like the top three to five reasons or benefits of me following through with that commitment. Give an example of how this works. Um, when I had cancer, here was step one. I am committed to beating cancer and living to be a hundred plus years old alongside Ursula and the kids. No matter what, there is no other option. Now, my cancer was very rare. This was five and a half years ago. It, I was given a 20 to 30% chance of surviving, right? So very grim odds. And, you know, I, I, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist. And I went, okay, the doctors are telling me there's a 70 to 80% chance that I'm going to die in the next few weeks to the next few months and leave my seven-year-old daughter and four-year-old son without a dad and my wife without a husband. Like, it was the hardest thing to wrestle with, right? Um, and, every, and I would feel that fear in the beginning. And every time I felt that fear, I'd pull my affirmations out. They were printed on my bedside table. They were on my phone if I was traveling. And I would read it with such conviction. I am committed 
to beating cancer and living to be 100 plus years old alongside Ursula and the kids, no matter what, there is no other option. And I would repeat it over and over and over with such passion and such conviction that it became my reality and I forgot that I had been afraid. I literally stopped feeling any fear after a few weeks of doing these affirmations every single day during my miracle morning. And then on the fly, whenever I would feel that fear coming up, I'd go, nope, that fear doesn't serve me. And then I would pull up the affirmations. The second part of the affirmations is why, why is it meaningful to you? Why is this so important? And here's how it went for me. I'm committed to beating cancer for Ursula because I promised her forever and a day. I'm committed to beating cancer for Sophia and Halston, my kids, because uh, I love them more than anything. And they, they deserve to have a dad who's around for the rest of, you know, the rest of to see them. I forgot the exact wording, but play with their grandkids or whatever. I'm committed to being cancer for my mom and dad because they don't deserve to lose another child. My sister had died when I was eight years old. Um, I'm committed to beating cancer for myself because I deserve to live a long, healthy, happy life. And last but not least, I'm committed to beating cancer for the millions of people who are themselves battling cancer or some other disease. And we're not blessed with the knowledge and resources that I've been blessed with and desperately need my leadership and guidance to help them through their situation. So that was the fuel, right, Brandon? Like I read the commitment, but then it was like, here's why, here's why, here's why, here's why I am committed no matter what, there is no other option. And what you affirm becomes your reality. And then step three is what specifically will you do and when to ensure that commitment, right? So what are the actions you're going to take and when are you going to take them? For me, it was I will combine the best of Western medicine and every holistic protocol and method available to me, and I will research and implement all of them. And so I did chemotherapy because, well, the, the best holistic doctors in the country told me that was my best shot of beating this rare aggressive cancer. They said they couldn't help me because I wanted to approach it holistically, but that's another story. But I researched and did everything in my power holistically. I did three coffee enemas three days a week, which those aren't comfortable. That's not fun. That's a pain in the butt, literally, right? Um, and so I did coffee enemas. I, I, I took 70 supplements a day. And I vetted them out, making sure there was no toxins in these certain brands. And right, um, I juiced every single day. Um, I did lymphatic massage. I did my miracle morning. I meditated, extended meditations where I would visualize every cell in my body being perfectly whole because they were cancerous, right? So on and on and on. I did everything I possibly could to heal my body of cancer. And the affirmations were my North Star. Those were what kept me focused on, here's what I'm committed to, here's why, and here's what I've got to do to follow through. And for anyone listening to this, right, I, I, I can't think of a more important practice to integrate into your life, right? And this is one of the six parts of the savers, the A for affirmations, right? But, but from the way I described it, I'm, I'm imagining you can see how, wow, if every day I affirmed my most important commitments, I clarified my whys, I kept it not only top of mind, but I, I fueled my emotional commitment. Like you want not to be motivated. That's how you stay motivated to work towards whatever it is that you're committed to achieving in your life. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna tie in and weave in some things that I think come from some mutual friends uh, that uh, and also highlight some things. The first thing that you said that I think was so powerful is I want everyone to notice that Hal didn't just focus on beating cancer. He focused on a reality that was even bigger than beating cancer that was living to be a hundred years old. And like this reminds me of I've had Andre Norman on the show. I don't know if you you've hung out with yeah, Andre, I know Andre. Hal, but like but but Andre was in jail and his his vision wasn't to be free it was to become a harvard fellow it wasn't to be free it was to become successful so it's like it was beyond even the scope of of that so that was one thing i wanted to point out the other insight that i'm tying in comes from benjamin hardy he wrote the other book uh be your future self now and i think what's so important about these affirmations is that instead of wanting or needing something which puts distance between you and that thing like you were talking about with affirmations the way that you structured it and the way that you just taught it is that you are stepping into that future version of yourself and acting from that future version instead of being different than it. Um, so that was thing number two. And thing number three is, I don't know if this is going to come before or after, but this is somebody I don't know if you're familiar with, but uh, Robert Tennyson Stevens, he wrote this book called Conscious Language. And yeah. uh, it blew my mind because I, I was chatting with someone and he kind of just like offhandedly said, yeah, I completely eliminated the words I can't, I want and need from my language. I'm like, wait a second, mm -hmm. that was really interesting. What do you mean you eliminated can't, want and need from your language? And he's like, well, it was this book called Conscious Language. And so I tracked the guy down and read it and ended up interviewing him. But it's so powerful is because our language is what shapes our identity, which is what shapes our thoughts, which is what shapes our actions, which is what shapes our results. So like the being intentional about the language of your affirmations, exactly like what Hal said is just so freaking powerful. So man, I, I, I'm going to absolutely be re-listening to this myself because these episodes become my spark notes and that was just super valuable. So um, I know we, we have about 13-ish minutes left. I want to make sure I'm getting you off to your next spot. So you alluded to your journey in beating cancer. You talked about the importance of affirmations in doing that. Uh, one of the things that I found out that this kind of woke you up to this whole experience of having cancer um, was that you had a lack of prioritization on what was what was really important to you. And so I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about um, uh, asking your son about what he wanted to do when you found out you came home, you had this diagnosis, tell th that story about telling him he could do, you know, how you approach your son and what he ended up saying to you that made you realize that um, he didn't want all the crazy things that maybe you thought he needed, he wanted. Yeah. 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 I remember I, yeah, I, I was like, Halston, uh, Hey, we can do, yeah. I just came home with my son. I'm like, Hey, you want to go to, I was trying to throw out all these exciting things. We can go to like Chuck E. Cheese or we can go to, you know, Dave and Buster's or we can go, I was trying to think of something fun for him to do. I throw these things. And um, he said, uh, can we just play in my room? And I realized that he just wants to spend time, you know, playing and, and doing, doing just, just, just being a kid. Right. And, uh, and, and I think the biggest takeaway for me in terms of, you mentioned prioritization was if you would have asked me before I got cancer, what my top priority was, uh, I would have said family without hesitation. And I think any entrepreneur with a family, right. If you've got, you know, spouse, kids, whatever, they would say family. In fact, whenever I speak and I'm talking, you know, sharing this message, I'll say, how many of you family is your top priority and everybody's hands go up. Right. And then I say, if I were to look at your schedule, would it be obvious that family is your top priority? Put your hands back up. If that would be the case. And usually less than 10% of the hands come back up. And that was true for me. I, I, you know, I, I, in my mind, in my heart, it was my top priority. Um, but 
but my schedule didn't reflect that. I was often, you know, oh, I got to work. I got to work. I got a book coming out. I got to work on Saturday this week, sweetie. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm flying to London to give a speech again. Right. Like it was, I was on this mission and I, there, you know, it's, I, I wrote or in my affirmations right now, the top of my affirmations, there's a quote from Peter Drucker and I'm going to butcher it, but, but it generally says um, that and he, he, he said this in his nineties, right? Peter Drucker is a famous, you know, um, author. And he said in his nineties, he said something along the lines of my, my, my definition of success has changed. I've now realized that making a difference in a small group of people's lives, enabling them to have better lives. That's what success is. It's not about changing the world. And I would encourage anybody listening to really think about that. Right. We, we often tell ourselves I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it for, um, and, and for some people, maybe you don't have a family in terms of like, you know, uh, you've got a family, of course, but maybe you don't have kids or that sort of thing. And, and so maybe maybe health is what you're sacrificing, right? We're all sacrificing something in pursuit of some form of achievement. And, uh, you know, maybe it's sacrificing health to uh, you know, make a million dollars or sacrificing relationships or friendships or whatever. Um, and, and that for me was it is I when I finished cancer. I said, I am, my family is going to be number one priority, not just in my head and not even just in my heart, but in my schedule logistically. And, and, and one way that I keep them top priority is, well, first thing I did is immediately I started making sure that I woke my kids up every morning and I put them to bed every night. So I bookended my day with my highest priorities. And then for me now, and this is a really low hanging fruit tip for anybody, um, whatever your top priority should be, whether that's your health if that's something that you're not optimizing or it's your relationships or it's your family, um, make sure that you start your day reading a book on that and affirming that. So when my, I have my affirmations, my affirmations for being the best dad and the best husband I can be, those are at the top of my affirmations above all of my business affirmations. Uh, I, I am required by myself to read uh, a bit, uh, a parenting book or a marriage book before I read a business book. And that in and of itself reminds me, my family is my top priority. And, uh, and it's so easy to go, oh, I'm in the middle of this business book and I'm learning all these strategies and I'm implementing them and it's great. And I'm excited for that. And so, yeah, so that, that was the big game changer is realizing that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that what was really my highest priority, uh, maintain that. This is really interesting to, to ask you this question, particularly because you, I mean, Miracle Morning is practiced by hundreds of thousands of people across the world. So obviously you've had the wide impact, but like now that you have focused or, or shifted, you know, leveraging that quote from Peter Drucker to go deep with the people that you love, have you found that by actually going deep and focusing on your family, that it's actually ended up causing the wide impact as well? How have you, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in making that shift in your own mind as somebody that's done both? Yeah, I think that for me personally, obviously, there's you know a huge shift for me and for my family and our, our fulfillment. Um, but but also it allows me to lead by example for our community. And I have gotten a lot of comments from people that like how I like you, seeing how you really put your family first. Like I say no to so many things now, and I'm like no. Like for example, I just Nathan Chan, the um, founder magazine, like uh, an interview, but he's in uh, I think Australia, and so it was like going to be 6 p.m. my time. And this is a great interview. It's a great opportunity. And I'm like, it's not even a question. I'm, I will not work after five, you know, like, and I used to work and like, I used to be, oh, but 
here's the justification of why I'm going to work a little bit longer hours, this or that, right? Now it's, no, I, I protect my time with my family and nothing comes before that. And so I get a lot of people that ask me for my time and they're like, hey, Saturday morning, I have a keynote for you. You know, it's, it pays $25,000. And I'm like, I'll talk to my wife, but, you know, I really, I, I, I don't do anything on the weekends and don't do anything after five, you know, it's family time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I know even when we were scheduling this, like we, I think we scheduled this like three or four months ago or something like that. You're like, no, I'm spending the summer with my kids. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I turned, so yeah. I literally, that's an example. I turned off my scheduler for the entire summer. It's in fact, it's still not, it's still not on yet. So you and I had to schedule off, uh, <laughs> offline. That's incredible, man. Well, this has been such an incredible conversation, Hal, and I'm just so grateful. So I know we're, we're coming up on time, so I don't know how much is realistic or, you know, for, for you to really squeeze in here, but a question that I like to ask lots of my guests in closing, and then we can obviously find out where people can check out more of your stuff, which you've already alluded to. But as somebody that has, you know, helped people with the Miracle Morning and has made a massive impact in your family's life and theirs life, other other people's lives what what does happiness mean to you today what is your understanding of what happiness is for for how mm, i love that question um happiness to me is recognizing that you already have everything that you need to be the happiest you could ever be and it's called life like most of us are chasing things to try to feel better inside um, and that's actually, that's how, that's my, what I call my miracle evening, if you will. The last thing I do before bed, after I read my bedtime affirmations, I set my intention is I just thank God and just express gratitude. And I just, I just marinate, if you will, in gratitude. I just sit there and I just feel so happy and so grateful for my life. And when I had cancer and I was in the hospital, it didn't change. I didn't feel any less grateful for my life. I didn't feel any less happy for my life. Same thing with a car accident, right? And I think, you know, they say we all have superpowers. Like if there's any superpower, it was me realizing that, oh, I will never let my happiness be dependent on my circumstances. Everything that I do that, you know, if I accomplish a goal or achieve this thing or earn some money, those are all bonuses. Those are all icing on the cake. As long as I am living and breathing I will choose to be the happiest and the most grateful I could ever be. And that's a conscious focus that doesn't have to be conscious anymore because my it's it's now just who I am, right? Like it's it's in my subconscious, as you mentioned. And so that's it. Yeah. Happiness is just realizing that take a breath. This moment is perfect. This moment is always perfect. In fact, I want to share an even uh, a further distinction on that. Consider this. If I were to ask you, Brandon. What was the best moment of your life? Most people would would search their memory banks and think of some extraordinary event or occasion like, oh, well, you know what? It was probably the birth of my child or it was my wedding day or it was when I made my first million or whatever, right? Um, it's It's based on some sort of event in time. And I had a distinction probably a year or two ago in the middle of the pandemic. I went, wait a minute. What if I just decided that every moment of my life is the best moment of my life based on whatever I'm doing in that moment. So right now, this is the best moment of my life, Brandon, because I'm looking at you, I'm talking to you, right? And, and, and if I were to drink a sip of water, it would be the best moment of my life because I was drinking a sip of water. 
And when I was in the hospital fighting cancer on chemo and, and sick and in pain, it was the best moment of my life because I was enduring pain I had never experienced before. And that was part of who I was. It was, it was who I was becoming. It was shaping me. It was enabling me to be stronger and more resilient in that moment and in the future. So that to me is happiness. It's recognizing that every moment of your life is perfect exactly as it is, even if there's all sorts of chaos and craziness and challenges and, and, and adversity and even pain, we can choose to experience every moment and the perfection in it and be happy regardless of what's going on around us. So beautiful. I'm tempted to add something on top of that, but that I just can't because that was just so good. <laughs> so we'll so we'll just end right there. Uh, besides uh, figuring out where people can go to check out your stuff, so I know anybody can go get any of the Miracle Morning books. Go on Amazon or go to your book. You can go to halelrod.com. You can download the Miracle Morning app. Uh, we mentioned like some of the affirmations. Where else do, can people go to check out the stuff that you're up to? Um, yeah, the movie is on like Amazon Prime, the Miracle Morning documentary, which is pretty cool. Um, it features Mel Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Brendan Burchard, Lewis Howes, uh, and my story. Um, and then, uh, but MiracleMorning.com is the hub. That's the best place to go. MiracleMorning.com. From there, you, you see all the books, you'll see the movie, you'll see the app. Uh, and last but not least, you'll see the community. And the Miracle Morning community is a Facebook group that started out with me, my mom, dad, my buddy, John, and uh, my friend, Matt, like, like five of us. And it's grown to 330,000 members from 217 countries who wake up every day, they do their miracle morning, and then they engage with each other, and they really support each other. And it's one of the most loving, supportive groups I've ever uh, been a part of. And, and again, MiracleMorning.com is the hub. You can find the link to that and, and everything else. Beautiful. Uh, won't ask anything else besides, is there anything else that you want to say before we get, get going for today, Hal? Yeah, I'll close with this. Um, you know, I think that human beings, we we really have trouble seeing life as different than it is, right? We get in, you know, they call that a rut, right? It's like we wake up and every day pretty much stays the same. And we end up, I feel like we all operate with this sense of urgency. Like I want my life to be where I want it to be right now. We lack that patience, right? We go, we go, or you see somebody that is achieving the success you want and you feel bad because you're not where they are, or you look at where you could have been, or you should have been, and you feel bad because you're not there. And here's what I've realized. It's one of the most important lessons I've learned. And it's part of allowing me to enjoy each moment is that when you finally get to the point in your life that you've been working so hard for, for so long, you almost never wish it would have happened any sooner. Instead, you look back and you go, oh, I had to go through all of that to get here. I had to go through the pain and the struggle and the challenges. Why did I allow myself to suffer so much? Why didn't I just accept the things I couldn't change, keep my eye on the prize, keep moving forward, keep learning, keep growing, keep evolving? Because now I'm here and the timing is perfect. And I wasted all that energy not enjoying every moment of my life. And that's what I want to leave everybody with. You have one life to live. There's going to be all sorts of shit and chaos and craziness and pain, it, right? It, 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 there, you've had a bunch in your life. You're going through some now. There's more coming, but enjoy every freaking moment of this one life that you've been blessed to live. And that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Hal Elrod. Holy crap. What an incredible episode. Hal, I appreciate you so much. This has been an absolute blessing. Thank you so much for the impact that you create. You're an absolute rock star. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, Brandon.